Well, during this last Advent season, we've been reminded of the way that the world was waiting for thousands of years until Jesus came. There had been all these promises that God had made, and he said that he was coming. He said he was going to send his son. He said that there was going to be one who would come to set all things right. But it seemed for millennia like God wasn't faithful to his promises. It just didn't seem like it was panning out at all. But then in Bethlehem, light broke in. And it broke into a broken people, a longing people, and even a people who were jaded, who who had been so disappointed by what looked like a failure of God to keep his promises that he came in and, and changed everything and brought light into their lives. And the hope for us tonight is that God would break in here into our hearts too, Uh, Not because of the energy of the atmosphere or because of this event tonight, but because of the truth of the message of Christmas, that, that God became a man, that he came to dwell among us so that he could redeem us, so that he could pay the price for our sins, and so that he could raise up a people for himself and give them everlasting life. And the hope for us tonight is that that light would break in to our hearts that sometimes get a little bit jaded, even toward the things of faith. I mean, even Christmas time can give us a lot to feel a little bit jaded and burned out about. Uh, this morning, I started my Christmas shopping, and when <laughs> I was walking around Eastview Mall, it's easy to see that there's just an, a lot, even about Christmas, not to like. And it's easy for, for even the things of faith to, to be something you start to roll your eyes at because they become so routine and in so many ways so disappointed, so disappointing. But for all of us, what what we're hoping God will do tonight is that he'll break in with a light that will keep us from being those jaded people, but people who know that we've hoped in the one true thing and have that one true hope that can make us different people. You know, it's one thing when we get jaded about things that don't matter much about, that don't matter much. You know, like if you're a Bills fan, there's, there's a pretty good chance you're disillusioned and that's just the normal way that you live. In fact, we build in defense mechanisms where the bills can be up by 35 after the half, and we still tell ourselves there's still time for them to choke. Um, this, this could still go badly. We know it could go badly. We, we've just for so many years now known that they're not going to win, know that that promise is never going to come true, and so, so we defend ourselves just by being jaded and cynical toward the whole thing, which is fine when it comes to the NFL, but that's a terrible place to live when it comes to the things of faith. It was one thing to roll our eyes at the promises of the Buffalo Bills, but it's another thing altogether to roll our eyes at the promises of God and to say that he's not faithful or he's disappointing because the truth is when we look to him, we know that he's not. Now, we've had a lot of disappointments. We've seen people that are phony Christians with phony promises that they make and phony motives, and so it's easy to look at the things of faith and say, I'm jaded about that stuff too. But what the Christmas message says to us is there is one true and real place to put our hope. There is one place we can look for the kind of faithfulness that our hearts are after, and there is one place we can look that won't disappoint, and that one place is not a person, it's not a church, it's not a religious system, it's Jesus Christ. That in Jesus, God fulfilled his promises, and so as jaded and as cynical as we might be, we can look there and still find something real and true and pure. We can find the real light that we're after. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 
So this passage says that all the promises that God has made, they find their yes in Jesus. And so we, we hear that and we think, well, what in the world does that mean? Um, but this is kind of like you know, every year at Christmas time, we drive out to Orchard Park outside Buffalo. That's where my mom and my brother live. And so, so we go out with the family. And, and where we go in Orchard Park at my mom's house is Disney World for my kids. It's a, it's a big house. There's a whole different set of toys there. Uh, when we go there, they can just eat junk the entire time. There's absolutely no discipline at all. Um, they can do whatever they want. Uh, grandma and grandpa are almost like mythological creatures to them because... <laughs> They do nothing but spoil them and just lavish on them the whole time. So when we get, a, get to go out to Orchard Park, this is a thrill for the kids. And so we'll pull out of the driveway, and we are no sooner on our street out here in Rochester than, we are, than they're starting to ask, are we there yet? Are we there? Are we there? And they'll ask over and over and over again as we drive through, are we there? And we'll say, no, we're five minutes from home. No, we're, we're in Batavia. No, we're not there yet. But then finally, after an hour and a half, that seems like a year to them, we pull into that driveway and the are we there yet finds its yes. So they've been asking and asking and asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And finally, we pull into that driveway and we're able to say a big yes to that longing of their heart. And what this passage in 2 Corinthians says is that Jesus Christ is that yes, we're there to all of the are we there yet's of our hearts. That we've got this longing, we sense this darkness, and we're looking for light. We're looking for one who's faithful to his promises. We're looking for that one true king, the one we can hang our lives on, the one place that we can hope. And what the scriptures say is that all of those things are yes in Jesus. That Jesus is that final answer. You can find all throughout the Bible all these promises that God had made to, to redeem things, to fix things, and to send a king. There's one promise, for example, in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him that you shall listen to. And so God had promised that there was a great prophet who was coming, and he was worth listening to, and he was someone like Moses. But then you fast forward just a few chapters, and at the end of this book, it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So you hear God making this promise that a great prophet's going to come, and then no sooner had he made that promise than he's saying, no, he didn't come. And so it seems almost like God is not faithful to his promise, like God is one more source of disappointment. There was another promise shortly after the fall when Adam and Eve had sinned, where God said in Genesis 3.15, there's one who's coming, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So just after we had sinned and fallen and run from God, God said, I'm going to send someone to crush this serpent that caused this mess. There's another promise in Isaiah 7:14, written 700 years before the birth of Christ, where it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. So another promise that a virgin would conceive and a son would, a son would come and that son would be God with us. And the whole world was waiting. We were always saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it this king? Is it this idea? Are we finally going to be saved? And over and over, the answer was no, 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 we're not there yet. There was another promise in Isaiah 53 where it says there's someone who's coming who would be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So for hundreds of years, God had made all of these promises that one would come and he'd be born in Bethlehem, but he'd be a Nazarene. He'd be born of a virgin and he would come and and bear our iniquities and carry the weight of our sins. And over and over, we say, are we there yet? And over and over, God says, no, no, no. It seemed like the promise wouldn't be fulfilled. But then on Christmas, the light breaks in and the answer to the are we there yet is yes. That yes, all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That in that manger, the one who came was the answer to all the longings of the human heart and all of the promises that God had made for millennia. That's where the promise came true. But a lot of people missed him. They missed him altogether. In fact, John says that he came into his own and his own received him not. That he came and he should have been the one that everyone recognized because their hearts were longing for him. They desperately wanted him, but then he came and they didn't recognize him at all. They completely missed him. And the danger for us is that that we'll hear the great news about Jesus. We'll know that all the promises find their yes in Jesus. But then for the same reasons that they missed Jesus, we could miss him too. So why did they miss him? One of the big reasons that people missed Jesus was because God had so over-delivered on his promises that they almost didn't recognize him. If I had a teenage daughter, which I don't, and I'm praying that day doesn't come, but if I, if I had a teenage daughter and, and they were to come up and say, you know, I, I'm going to work now, I need transportation, so I think we need to go to the store and get me a reliable bike. And I say, you know, you're right, you do need transportation, I'm going to make sure that that is taken care of for you, I'm going to do that tomorrow, I'm going to make sure that, that you've got what you need. So the next day, I go out to the Lamborghini dealership, and I buy a red Lamborghini. I bring it home. I put it in the driveway. I throw her the keys. I give her the credit card and say, all the gas you need, it's yours. I pay for the insurance. I would be so over-delivering on my promise that she might not even recognize it. She might not even think about how we were just talking about getting a bike because this seems so much different. But what I had done is I I over-fulfilled the promise that I made. And what happened when Jesus came is that God had so over-delivered on the promises he made of someone who could come and meet our needs that people almost didn't recognize him and in some ways didn't even want him because they didn't recognize what their greatest needs were. But Jesus was a, a mystery. When the Bible talks about a mystery, it's not talking about something we don't understand now. It's talking about something that in the past wasn't understood but now has, has been revealed. And so in the past, it had been kind of hidden what Jesus would be and how he would save people and the needs that he would meet. But then when he shows up at Christmas and lives his life and dies on that cross, that mystery gets revealed to us. And when that mystery is revealed and our eyes are open, sometimes we look at that and that looks so different than what we had expected that we don't even know if that's what we need. I mean, God had promised his people throughout history that he would give them a place. He promised them a land where they would live and they would be free. And then Jesus comes, and he is that place. And he's better than just a a nation with physical boundaries. He's a Jesus who would be with them wherever they go. All of the world is his territory, and wherever they go, they have a place in him. And that's such an over-delivering on the promise that people looked at that and said, I don't know if that's what we even wanted. God had promised his, his people that they would have offspring, that his people would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and that they'd fill the world. 
And so, so the Jews expected a Jewish Messiah that would enable them to have these Jewish offspring that would fill the world. And Jesus comes and so over-delivers on that promise. And he says, anyone who's of faith now can be one of those sons of Abraham, that this, the doors are now open to the kingdom of God, not just for this one nation, but people from all nations, all tongues, all people groups. Anyone who believes can come and be called a son or daughter of God. And people said, man, that's, that's not even necessarily what we were expecting at all. And then God had promised them that a powerful king would come. So they kept looking, and they saw great kings that came. They saw King David, and he came along, and they said, are we there yet? But it was clear in the story of David that they weren't, because his life ended tragically with a story of, of adultery and all kinds of chaos and murder. And then King Solomon comes along, and, and we say, are we there yet? Because he's wise, and he's rich, and maybe he's the one who's going to set everything right. But then his life unravels, too. And so over and over, we get a no to all the, are we there yet? But then when the true king comes, he comes as such an overfulfillment of all the promises that people don't even know if he's the king that they're after. Because he comes with so much strength that he doesn't need an army. He comes to defeat enemies that are so big, we didn't even know we had them. Enemies like Satan, sin, and death. And people said, we don't know if that's the king that we want. But God had come through and so over-delivered on his promise that people missed him altogether. And the risk for us is that we'll do the same thing. When we think we know what will fix our broken lives and our broken hearts and our broken souls, and sometimes Jesus doesn't seem to fit the bill. I mean, we look at what's wrong with our lives right now, and it's Christmas time, so you're probably maybe feeling the pinch of visa right now, and, and you don't know how it happened again because this was the year that it wasn't going to happen, but for some reason... Um, you didn't get the notice that we were having Christmas again this year, and so you look at the visa statement, and it's not a happy thing, and so you say, man, this is my biggest problem. I mean, my biggest debt is now visa, and if I were wealthy, if I had provision for everything, if I had more money, more financial comfort, then I would be content. Then I'd have the peace that I'm after. And God looks at your life and says, well, you're right about the fact that you do need provision, and you're right about the fact that you do have a debt, but your biggest debt is not your debt to visa. Your biggest problem is not that you don't have a big pile of cash that you're sitting on. Your biggest debt is your debt to God, that you've sinned and fallen short of his glory, that you deserve his wrath, that you don't deserve his grace. And so there's this debt that you could never pay that's owed to him. And God says, you're right in feeling like you don't have the provision that you need on your own. That's absolutely true. But then he comes and over delivers and says, I'm going to send my son to pay the debt so that you can be forgiven of your greatest debt and your greatest need can be met. But what we sometimes do is we miss the Lamborghini of God's grace because we're convinced we need a better job or more cash. We're, we're convinced we need the bike. Or maybe it's not financial peace that you're holding out for this time of year, but you're holding out for some kind of relational peace that you look at some of the broken relationships in your life and you want some healing there, you want those things to be fixed, you want that temporary hallmark piece around the Christmas tree where we can sit around and finally have no difficult relationships, no family awkwardness, no unresolved problems. And God looks at your life and says, yes, you desperately need salvation from broken relationship. But your biggest problem and your biggest war that you're in is not your war with your in-laws. The biggest war that you're in is your war with God. And so Jesus comes to bring peace in the greatest war ever. 
He comes to satisfy God's wrath on your behalf so that God doesn't have to be against you anymore. He comes to soften and aliven your heart so that your heart's not turned against him anymore. So the greatest war, the war of our hearts against God, can find peace in Jesus. Jesus comes and so over-delivers on what we think we need that sometimes we don't even recognize him at all. He came down to, to bring peace. He came down to bring provision. But it's so over the top of a yes in Jesus that it's easy for us to miss him. But the hope is tonight that we wouldn't miss him. And if you're here tonight because someone dragged you and you say, I don't want this stuff, let me just guarantee you that you do. You don't know that you want this. You don't sense that you need this. But that longing in your heart has a longing underneath it. That sense that life is not what it should be. That sense that things need to be fixed right, set right, and they're not right. That sense that deep, that's deep down that says things are not what they should be. That all points to your need for a savior. You know that during the season, you want that love that won't end. And God says, you're right, you need a love that won't end. And the only love that won't end is the love of Jesus. You sense that during this season, you want that one sure thing in life because everything seems so unsure and so unstable around you. And God says, yes, you do need one sure thing in life. And there's nothing as sure as Jesus. You sense that you want a secure future, a better future for yourself and your family, and God says, yes, you do need that, and the only place that's guaranteed is in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more. There is nothing better. He's the promise that all of our hearts are longing for. So maybe this has been a mystery for you before tonight. Maybe you came in and you thought you needed one thing, you thought you wanted one thing, and if you had that thing, you'd be satisfied. And what the message of Christ says to you tonight is the only place your heart will find the yes that it's after is in Jesus Christ. Our greatest need is for a Savior. Our greatest need is to be rescued from our sins. Our greatest need is for a real solution for a broken world and our broken souls, and the only real solution to that is Jesus. So this is the good news, and this is the greatest Christmas gift, that the thing that we're all after can be ours, and it can be ours for free. And the way that we receive that gift is not by becoming religious and joining this church or some other church. It's not by taking on a religious name tag. It's not by walking through some kind of religious rituals. But the way that we receive that gift is just acknowledge that what God says about us is true. That my greatest need isn't going to be found on my visa statement. It's not going to be found around the Christmas dinner table. My greatest need is the need of my heart to be reconciled with God. My greatest debt is the debt that I owe God for my sin. And so we start by just acknowledging the truth of that. That while there are other problems and the financial problems are real and the other relationship problems, those are real too. Nothing is as real and big as our need for Jesus Christ. So we recognize and admit our sinfulness. And then we just believe the good news that we couldn't solve it on our own, we couldn't fix it on our own, and that what Christmas tells us is that God came to provide that fix for us. That Jesus came to live among us and live the life that none of us could have lived in perfect obedience to all of God's law. That Jesus died on the cross, the death that we should have died to pay the price for our guilt and for our sin. And if we'll turn from our sin and our unbelief and turn to him in simple faith, we won't perish but have everlasting life. And all of the righteousness, all of the goodness of Jesus gets credited to our account as a free gift. And he takes on himself all of our debt, all of our sin, all of our stain, and then makes us his sons and daughters. And that love and acceptance that we're after that we think we can find in another human relationship, he says, no, there's a place where you really want to find it. There's a place where that desire finds its yes, and that's only in Jesus, and that's offered to everyone tonight. 
So if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, please. If you come in tonight in, in that longing and in that darkness, with that sense of guilt and emptiness and that life isn't what it should be, all of that points to your need for a relationship with your God. And the good news of Christmas and the great gift of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to give you that relationship. He came to live among us and pay the price for your sins so you could turn to him and believe and have everlasting life. So in the quietness of your heart, you can cry out to him and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for the relationship that you're after. Ask him for the freedom from debt and guilt that you're after. And he promises that what he did on that cross by dying for your sins and by resurrecting over-delivers on all the needs of your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian who feels some of that same longing. You've been walking with Jesus, you've been following Jesus, but there's still that sense of emptiness, still that sense of life should be better than this, there should be more. Maybe the place we need to come to is a place of repentance, where we say, I need to repent of holding out for more, and I need to believe the truth again that there is nothing more than Jesus that there is nothing better. There's nothing greater that my heart is craving. That I already have all that I need in Jesus. He, he's over-delivered on all of the needs in my heart. And if I believe the truth of the Jesus that I have, then I can be free from all of those longings and all the anxiety that comes from not having these other things that I've convinced myself I need to have to have joy. Because if we have Christ and we have nothing else, we have grounds for hope, for peace, for love, and for joy. And if we have everything that the world has to offer, but we don't have Christ, we won't ultimately and eternally have any of those things. So let's turn again tonight to Jesus, be reminded of the truth that who he is is more than enough for us, his mercy is more than a match for our hearts, and that the forgiveness and the relationship with God we have in him gives us the ground for the joy that we're after. Father, we thank you that this is true. Thank you for putting those longings in our hearts that we cannot make go away with anything else. Thank you that all of our attempts to numb ourselves uh, with, with sin or even just thrills, all of them fall short. We thank you that you've put eternity in our hearts so that we would be satisfied with nothing less than Jesus, and we thank you that that leads us to you. So I pray tonight that you would help us to trust in you and know about, really believe in the Jesus that we have, to know your mercy and your grace and to believe that, that what you've given us in Christ is the Lamborghini when we thought we were after a bike. Lord, I pray that we would know that your grace is enough for us and that that sense of satisfaction and peace would be carried with us out into the world that's so desperately hungry for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.